as we went through chapter number 9. And we began to see that God had given instruction to Moses, very detailed instructions in fact. And he began to tell Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. And so Aaron begins to do these things. Now Aaron is a unique character in, in my opinion. Uh, I look at him a lot the way I look at Peter in the New Testament. He is kind of a fellow who has great intentions and I truly believe has a heart and a love for God. If not, I don't think God would have used him as the high priest. But Aaron wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, just a few, just a few, uh, uh, just a short while before this, he's the one that put the the gold in the in the fire and pulled and made a fashion a calf out of it and had the nation of Israel to worship a calf and then tried to combine the idol worship with worshiping of God and. Uh, Aaron certainly is not a, a man that you look at. He's a man who I think is, is sometimes easily swayed by the popular opinion of man. But yet he is a man who I believe has a genuine love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for God himself. And God chooses him to be the high priest of the tabernacle. And he gives, God gives Moses some instruction about this. And you'll notice as we go through chapter 9, at least on two or three different occasions that it says that Aaron did as Moses commanded him. And so Aaron is being very, very careful here to be obedient to what God wants at this point. You'll also find a couple of times in the book, in chapter number 9, at least two different times on two different occasions, that as the sacrifice is taking place, uh, the sons of Aaron uh, are coming to Aaron and bringing to Aaron the, the blood of the sacrifice so that Aaron can make the atonement for his own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. And we find that his sons are also being consecrated and being set aside and being set apart for service in the temple. But as we get to the end of chapter number 9, and we find as Moses and Aaron go into the tabernacle, into uh, an area of the temple that the other folks were not a, a part of at this point, he goes in, and the Bible says in verse number 23 of chapter 9, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation, and came out and blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. At this point, atonement had been made. The, the uh, blood was shed for not only Aaron's sins, but also for the sins of the people. And by the way, every time uh, the, the sin is atoned for, it allows God's presence to come into our lives. Amen? Aren't you glad of that? I'm thankful that when we get saved, the Bible says that we are made a new creature Old things are passed away and all things are become new. The Bible teaches that we're the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in us, which we have of God. And we are not our own for we are bought with the price. And that only happened as our sins were atoned for. And of course the Lord Jesus Christ once and for all atoned our sins on Calvary. And all we have to do is put our faith in Him and our trust in Him. And He's promised to forgive us of our sins and to allow His blood to be a covering for our sins. I'm thankful for that and I love this picture that we find in the Old Testament. But as we get to chapter number 10, the Bible says in verse number 1, <coughs> And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. There are some lessons I believe that you and I can learn from this when it comes to our worship with the Lord and our time spent walking with the Lord. 
And the first thing we find here is that these two sons are getting ready to do something that the Bible says in verse number 1, the Lord which he commanded them not. This is something that these two fellows were deciding, uh, you know what, I think this will be a good idea, let's try this. And had not followed the procedures, had not followed the laws and the rules that God had given him. And God has a, in the, in the Old Testament especially, God is a very, very, uh, very much a stickler on the methods that are used. And by the way, I, I think we can learn a great truth on this. Because we live in a day and age where there are good people that are well-intentioned people, and I believe truly are saved, but they believe that methods don't really matter. You can do anything you want to do as long as it brings a crowd. And they justify it by saying the bigger the crowd, the better opportunity that we have to reach them with the gospel. Uh, Bob Jones Sr., I believe it is, that said it's never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. And uh, there are a lot of churches today that are justifying what they're doing in their churches by saying it's okay, our methods are okay, and they really don't matter as long as the end justifies the means. But God makes a very clear distinction in, in Scripture that methods do matter. In fact, as, as we get over into, uh, I believe it's 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel, uh, we find that the Ark of the Covenant is being moved and uh, from a place where it was not supposed to be into Jerusalem, and they didn't know how to move it. In fact, they... Uh, they perhaps some of the folks knew how to do it, but they decided they were going to move it in a different way. They built a cart and some oxen. They put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart, and they're traveling down the road rather than the Levites carrying it the way that God had instructed them to do. And as, our, as the Ark of the Covenant is coming down the road, the, uh, the oxen hit a, a jolt in the road, and the cart dipped, and the ark began to tilt. And there was a man by the name of Uzzah that was standing there, and he saw the Ark of the Covenant getting ready to fall off of the cart. And he reaches out and he steadies the Ark of the Covenant. Y'all remember that story? And we look at that and we say Uzzah was doing a good thing. And he, and he had a good intention. Why would God strike Uzzah dead? I mean, didn't God know his heart? Didn't God know that his intention was right? Sure he did. But God is very much focused on you doing it his way. And we get here to chapter number 10, and we find that the sons of Aaron are getting ready to do something that in verse number 1, the Bible says that God commanded them not. This is not something that God had directed them to do. It's something that they thought was a good idea. And by the way, it usually takes more than one person to come up with something like this, doesn't it? You get a group of people together and say, boy, this is a good thing. Let's do this. Let's try this. Let's, and we begin to make church a guinea pig sometimes. Let's try this method, pastor. Let's try this method, uh, uh, deacons. Let's, let's, I tell you what, if we can just do this over here, uh, I think we could get a lot more people in our church. Can I tell you this? I believe this very, very clearly, that we have lost the concept that if we will lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will draw all men unto him. You don't have to have a bunch of uh, crazy promotions. You don't have to drop candy from a helicopter to get people to come to church. You just simply have to have the power of God on your life and begin to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. And the Bible says He'll draw all men unto Him. And if we look at this, the numbers of this church and we say, Boy, I'd love to see more than 36 in church on Sunday. Then let's lift the Lord Jesus Christ higher. That's what He said to do. 
then let's go around and tell people about our great Savior, what He's done for me, and boy, how exciting it is to be saved. Let's tell them how they can be saved. Let's show them how that something that used to be dead in their lives can be made alive, and the joy of being saved can be different in their life. Let's do it God's way, amen? We find here in verse number 10, these guys are coming up with ideas that were not what God had commanded. The Bible says also, as we get in verse number 1, And Nahab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord. Now this is interesting to me, because God does tell them in uh, in, in uh, Exodus how they're supposed to bring incense, and how that the incense were many times uh, a, a symbol of, of prayers being offered to God, and uh, that these were a sweet-smelling odor to God and things that uh, were to be done. But the fire, when the incense was to be uh, made, the fire was to be taken from off of the altar of the burnt sacrifice. And they had not taken the fire from off of the altar of the burnt sacrifice. We don't know the reasons for that. A lot of people can speculate. But can I tell you this, that even though they were trying to do something that they were well-intentioned to, they were not obedient to what God had said. When Saul, who became the first king of Israel, began to be king and reign, he was a good king, I believe, really at first, but as he went through his kingship, uh, we began to see that King Saul began to rely more and more upon himself. God told him to go and to destroy the Amalekites and to kill all of them. And we remember the story how that uh, he went to war with them and uh, he kills them all off except for the king and a few choice servants and some of the cattle and oxen. And so he's, they're rejoicing in their victory and God comes to, them, comes to him through uh, Samuel and says, uh, did you do what I asked you to do? And Saul said, yes, I did. And Samuel started to say, then what's, what are these sheep that are bleeding in my ear and what are the goats? Well, I saved them alive. What about the king? I saved him alive. And God made a statement to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. Because Saul said, I've kept these so that I can offer them to the Lord. But that's not what God told him to do, was it? Obedience to God. Obedience to God. We don't like to talk about this one very often. One of my son's favorite songs, ironically, is trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. In Ephesians chapter number 6, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus teaches young people that they are to be obedient to their parents. As he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right he does not try to, to candy coat it. He does not try to offer reward for it. He does not try to offer incentive for it. He simply says we are to obey God because, or obey our parents because it is right. Just a chapter before that, in chapter number 5 and verse number 1, Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And then he gives us a picture of how children are to relate to their parents. 
And it's the same as our relationship to our God. If we're to follow Him as dear children, and He is our Heavenly Father, then we are to be obedient to Him, not because there's reward in it, not because there's some kind of a gift or an incentive, but we are to be obedient to God simply because it is right. And here are these two men, Nadab and Abihu. And while God has instructed them very clearly that they are to take fire from off of the altar of burnt sacrifice, they get fire from elsewhere. And they bring their incense, but the Bible says that they have some strange fire. And by the way, let's look at something here. Back up to verse number, chapter number 9 and verse number 24 with me if you would. And there came a fire out from, where's this fire from? Where is it? Before the Lord. So could we call this the Lord's fire? Kind of makes a little bit of a difference, doesn't it? And consumed upon the altar the burnt offering. So we find that the fire that they were supposed to use for the incense was the Lord's fire. And yet they used a fire that was made by man. There's a lot to be said in this and that we oftentimes in the day and age that we live want to try to have an excitement and a joy and we try to fabricate what we consider to be the power of God. There's a lot of different fires that God has in Scripture. Several of them that I can think of is the fire of His presence, which we find here. We find the fire that He uses to consume the sacrifice, which was the same fire that was used by Elijah and the, as he confronted the prophets of Baal, we find that there is also a fire of judgment here as we get to verse number 2 and God's judging fire. The Bible speaks of a fact that there is a refining fire. And as we have our works tried, that there will be some that will be burned as wood, hay, and stubble, but some will come forth shining as gold and precious stone. We find that there is a fire that fell in the axe the cloven tongues like as fire fell upon them and how that there was a fire that burned inside the heart of Jeremiah the prophet as he said, I will speak no more in, the, in his name, but it was shut up in me like a fire. And we a lot of times are desiring and longing to have the fire of God in our lives that he would ignite our hearts with a passion for him. That we would have a, a, a God that, would that we would love so much that our hearts would burn within us. That there would be a zeal, a holiness in our life of trying to do all that we can to lift up the Savior. And we long for that kind of fire, but then we end up bringing sometimes a man-made fire, don't we? We figure if we can get the right singing group in front of our church, that boy, it'll sure stir the hearts up. If we can get the right kind of lighting and the mood set just right and we get the temperature set just right and we put the smoke up here and we get certain people to say certain things that will stir through man's philosophy and vain deceit will stir the hearts and God calls it a strange fire, a man-made fire, a fire that is derived by man. Where are the churches that have the power of God resting on them that when the preaching time comes that the power of God falls upon the altar of the heart and begins to consume the offering that is brought there, that begins to consume the hearts of men? It's missing today in a lot of our churches because there's a lot of strange fire. There's a lot of man-made fire. 
instead of the fire that God has brought? Wouldn't it be far better if we allowed God to stir our hearts? Wouldn't it be far better if we would allow Him to stir the coals and the embers and to stir up that gift inside of us? It doesn't take an emotional song. It doesn't take a tearjerker of a story, of an illustration. It just simply takes God moving in a supernatural way in the hearts of men. But these folks brought strange fire. A man-made fire, if you will. And they put it therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which He commanded them not. I want you to notice this. And there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. I'm thankful that every time we offer strange, what we would refer to as strange fire today, that God doesn't strike all of us dead because the truth of the matter is, I believe at, every, at some point in many of our lives, that strange fire has been offered, hasn't it? And yet we have had mercy of God. But I do want us to see this morning what God, how God views this, what God thinks of it. Lest we get enamored with the modern day style of worship, may we learn that what we need in our church is the fire that falls from heaven. Not a man-made fire. You say, Brother Greg, I think we ought to have a better music program. I don't have a problem with that. Brother Keith and I are working on that. I don't have a problem with having a better music program, but it better not be the fire we're depending on. Brother Greg, I think we'll have better Sunday school classes and more resources and better facilities. Nothing wrong with that, but we better not be dependent on that as our fire. When it comes to the power resting upon Keith Heights Baptist Church, it better be God's fire burning in the hearts of every one of us. It better be something that we walk with Him every day and seek for Him to stir us afresh and anew. We find as we get to verse number 3, the Bible says, Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. I don't know as a dad how I would respond in this situation. But I'm sure that Aaron loved his sons. And I'm sure that there was something he wanted to say. And yet God, Moses told Aaron, he said, this is something that God wants. That he will sanctify them that come nigh him. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said, Unto them, come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp. And as Moses had said, and Moses said unto Aaron and to Eleazar and unto Ithamar, his sons, uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die. And lest wrath come upon all the brethren of uh, the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, and I want you to notice this, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. We don't know this for a certainty, 
But it seems in the context of the passage that there's quite, quite a bit of possibility that these sons were under the influence of some strong drink. And some people may disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But it's interesting to me that as Moses is instructing regarding the death of these two boys that he brings up the subject of not drinking wine when they go into the house of the Lord. In fact, it's interesting to me that even the Apostle Paul, in writing about being filled with the Spirit, says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And can I say the third lesson that we can learn from these two young men is this. When we come before the Lord... He ought to have his rightful place in our life. There ought not be anything that would detract his position in our lives. These are religious leaders. Aaron was being consecrated and set apart and sanctified to be the high priest. His sons were being set apart and consecrated for service in the tabernacle. And yet there were some things in their lives that kept them from giving God his rightful place. They were allowing other things to control their hearts and their minds. They were allowing other things to consume their thoughts. So much so that when verse number 3, Moses said unto Aaron, This is it, the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. Those that come nigh me, I will be sanctified in them. I will have my rightful place in their hearts. I will be set apart for them. We find some lessons here that I think are valuable lessons in the day and age that we live. I believe we've got to be very careful of offering strange fire to the Lord. Man-made fire, things that we come up with and dream up. What we need is a revival of getting back to God's word. Finding out what it is that God has told us in Scripture and then being obedient to it. You see, a lot of us many times learn and understand what the Bible says. But that obedience thing is the hard part, isn't it? That's the one the old flesh nature fights so hard against. We know what it says, yet oftentimes we don't follow after it. We come up with better ways or ways that we think or we're going to work better be able to do what God's given us to do as far as His work, as far as worshiping Him, walking with Him. We try man's ways. It's amazing to me how many people leave the pews of good churches looking for a church that's more exciting, looking for a church that has more to offer their family. And I lay the blame on two places. Number one, I lay it on the blame on the churches that are offering a strange fire to people and enticing them through strange fire. But more importantly, I lay the blame on the churches that are preaching right because they're lacking the fire of God. When the fire of God begins to consume the offering, the hearts of the people are drawn to Him. That's what the Bible said there, isn't it? Look with me, if you will, at the end of chapter number 9, verse number 24. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar. And the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. 
Boy, what a thought. Do we have the fire of God today? Are we guilty of strange fire? I, I hope and I pray that as long as I'm pastor here at Keith Heights that we don't ever bring strange fire in this place. I'm not saying that you don't have a program or facilities, but it better not be what we're hoping and praying is going to do God's work. It's not. The only thing that changes the hearts of men is the Holy Spirit of God. That's what does the work. That's what we depend upon. That's what ought to stir the hearts of the people that are here this morning. And that's what ought to stir the hearts of those that ever come to visit this place. When we come in contact with them throughout our week, we meet somebody. Do they see the fire of God upon us? Well, when the people saw it, they responded to it, didn't they? They responded to it. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray that you would bless the message this morning. Lord, I pray that in some areas of our lives where we have failed in this area, perhaps we have allowed some man-made things, things that we hold to and think, boy, if we could just do this or that. But, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will take a place in this church, in the lives of each of these folks, and that your consuming fire will fall upon our lives. That when men look at our lives, when they come into contact with us, they take note that we've been with you. Father, I pray that you would allow a consuming fire to fall upon us. That as we walk with you daily, we seek for your power and your direction on our lives. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that does not know you as their Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict their heart. Show them that need, and Lord, I pray that you would help them to get that matter settled this morning before it's too late. That they would come forward and allow us to take your word and show them how they can be saved today. Bless the invitation time, and I pray that you'll speak to hearts as you would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray.